0: Thanks for listening. We pray that this online resource from South Point Church is helpful in deepening your relationship with our God and Savior. Our desire is for everyone to live, grow, and serve together in a local body of believers. If you are not already part of a local church, we would love to have you join us in person. For more information, visit our website at www.wearesouthpoint.com. That's www.wearesouthpoint.com. Say, turn to your neighbor on your left and say, he is risen. And then turn to the neighbor on the right and say, he is risen indeed. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you, Josh, and the worship team for truly leading us into the presence of God this morning. I am so excited to visit with you and to talk about something that God wants us to know. And it might sound like... In the Air Force, we had an acronym called BFO. It's called Blinding Flash of the Obvious. And that is Jesus is number one. Is that like the most obvious thing in the world? But you know what? To some people, he's not number one. And you know what? Sadly, sometimes I'm guilty of not keeping him number one. Are you Do you battle with that sometimes? Something to think about this morning. About 10 years ago, something particularly fascinating happened. There was a a cross-country race featuring runners from all around the world. And there was a clear leader for almost the entire race. His name was Abel Mutai. He was from Kenya. And he was actually a bronze medalist in the 3,000-meter steeplechase in the London Olympics. But something really strange happened. As Abel neared the finish line, he was about 100 feet from the finish line, he stopped. He was confused. He thought he had passed the finish line, but he stopped. He didn't know that he was that close to the finish line. A few minutes minutes later, the second-place runner, who was probably still quite a bit behind him, his name was Ivan Anaya, he came up behind him. He could have very easily just kept right on going and won the race. But he recognized that Abel really truly was the winner winner of the race. So guess what he did? He stopped. He got a hold of this guy and he didn't really physically shove him but he was like, come on, you still got another 100 feet to go. And he let Abel actually win the race. See, he recognized, Yvonne recognized that he was the second place runner that day. And so he allowed himself to come in behind. He knew the rightful place of that person. And you know, it's an interesting tie to our uh, passage in Hebrews today about Jesus and the angels. You know, angels are pretty impressive, they're pretty powerful creatures. And we know about that from scripture. But you know what? They're always going to be second to the number one, aren't they? And that's Jesus. If you have your Bibles open with me to Hebrews chapter one, we are gonna pick it up right where we left off last week in verse four. And we're gonna talk about this idea that Jesus must be number one. And we're gonna look at the writer of Hebrews and what he or she is talking about as they're making the point about what place the angels have in our lives and why Jesus is better? You know, we've talked about it already. Both times that we've talked about Hebrews, we've talked about the use of the word better, how the writer says that Jesus is better. He's a better priest. It's a better covenant. There's so many things about what we know about Jesus that make him better than anything else we could possibly imagine or want. So if you would please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. And we're going to pick it up right there in verse 4. And you'll remember in the the latter part of verse 3, it talks about the sacrifice. And it says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty. After Jesus Died on the cross, rose again, and sits at the right hand of the Father. So pick it up in verse 4. It says, Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son? And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he said, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he said, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom." You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So last week we talked about the Old Testament. God made promises, and in the New Testament God fulfilled those promises through Jesus. Everything that we see in the Old Testament ultimately points to Jesus and what is going on in the New Testament. We looked at those characteristics about Jesus. And it's interesting because verse 4 right away tells us the main idea of the passage, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited, is more excellent than theirs, Now, you might think it's obvious, it seems obvious, and again, blinding flash of the obvious, that Jesus is greater than the angels. But throughout the history of God's people, there have been problems with angel worship. In the Old Testament, kings Ahab and Manasseh, they led the people of of Israel to worship angels. Even in the New Testament, Galatians and Colossians, there are warnings about angel worship. They, They keep falling back, if you will. Um, Even in Revelation, John, he's bowing down to an angel in his revelation vision, but the angel says, no, don't worship me. I am a fellow servant. I'm here as a testimony, just like you and your brothers, of Jesus. You know, we know that we've seen throughout history, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, false teachers. Some have even suggested that Jesus himself was an angel. But verse 4 says the name God gave Jesus is greater than then the angel's name, and the name he's given Jesus is son. Now, you know there are people today, and you've seen them. You probably know some even today who are obsessed with angels. They have the angel necklaces, angel figurines, bumper stickers that say angel on board. I can even remember praying as a kid when, when someone would travel somewhere. We would say, place your angels of protection around them. You know, whether they were flying or driving or train or bus, whatever it was. You know, people who even don't even know Jesus declare their trust in angels. You ever heard anybody say, I have an angel watching over me? But see, the problem with that is that angels aren't private security contractors, okay? They work at Christ's command for his purposes, for his people. They can't save you. They can't help you, and they do nothing outside the will of God. See, they work for Jesus because he is greater. Verse 5 says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, or again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. See, here the author begins quoting some psalms to make his points about Jesus. And he starts by saying this first thing, angels are not God's sons. Okay, God has never called them that. So, who are they? If they're not his sons, who are they? What are they? You know, we've all seen the depiction of angels playing the harps, you know. Do they really do that? Do they sit on clouds? We've all seen the pictures. But you know, there's some fascinating accounts of angels in the Bible In Daniel, chapter 10, there's a demon called the Prince of Persia who was preventing a messenger angel from getting to Daniel. And God sent the archangel to battle that demon prince. When God called Zechariah, Joseph, and Mary, who did he send? The angel Gabriel. When the angel Lucifer led his rebellion, it was the angel Michael who led God's forces and threw him out of heaven. an angel fed Elijah. After his showdown on Mark Carmel. It was an angel who gave a pep talk to Gideon. Man, if there was ever a guy who needed a pep talk, it was Gideon, right? Fleece up, fleece down. What what are we going to do here? It was an angel who orchestrated a prison break for Peter. And angels who attended Jesus at the resurrection. They were there with him. They are heavenly beings. They really are. But they're not God's sons. They are simply angels. Now, in contrast, verse 5, the writer says Jesus is God's only son. Important to remember that. And this is a direct quote from Psalm 2-7, which says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. See, no angel could ever be called God's son. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can be called God's son. Why is that? Well, first and foremost, he's not called the Son because he was created. He's always existed. John chapter 1, always existed, had no origin. He is eternal. Verse 14 makes that clear. But he did do what we all know. He put on human flesh. He took his place away from heaven and put on human flesh and became like us, came into human form. But see, his life didn't begin at conception like ours does, okay? He was clearly born of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus was born of God, he is called the Son of God. And my suspicion, based on some Jewish history here, is that God's Son is for the benefit of those who he came to. See, they were making a point with the Jews because they understood the Son very differently than we do. Okay for them the firstborn was an extension of the father okay and i think that's one of the reasons why they were so furious with jesus he called him the son of god effectively he was pronouncing his own death sentence they knew claiming to be the son of god was equivalent to claiming to be god that's why he was ultimately killed see jesus is i love this capital s son of god and that distinguishes him from any other person, any other being, angel, heaven, earth, anywhere. He's the one and the only. And he is really the only one who can rightfully be called the son of God. In verse 6 it says, and again when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. What a great reminder that angels are worshipers. We are worshipers. There's an amazing glimpse of this angelic worship, if you will. And turn over to Revelation chapter 5 if you want. Keep your finger in Hebrews. But beginning in verse 11, it's Jesus enters the throne room of heaven. And this is what John sees. Verse 11, then I looked again. I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and of the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So many amazing words. But angels are worshipers. They were never people. And people will never be angels. But we do share one thing in common. And that is this. Jesus is the one, capital O, that we worship. I think it's really important for us to remember this. You know, sometimes we hear the word worship, we think of bowing down or singing songs or even coming to church, and those truly are forms of worship. Those are opportunities for us to express our love for God, our adoration, our reverence, our respect for the one who has done all. But really, when you stop and think about it, worship is about what's in here. It's what's in your heart, Because if you truly don't have a heart of worship, and there's a song called Heart of Worship, if you don't have a heart of worship, is it really truly worship, or is it just going through the motions because you think you're supposed to check a box off on Sunday? It's in your heart. Okay, the Bible warns us against worshiping anything other than God, too. Worship is really truly what we care about, and we have to be watchful for that. It's a thing called idolatry. You probably have heard this before. Anything that takes the place of your focus away from God is an idol. That's why we said Jesus is number one. Jesus must be number one. He's got to be our number one focus. It's called that vertical relationship. Okay? If you're here today and you're struggling with what I call your horizontal relationships, your friends, your family, maybe in your marriage, if you're struggling with that relationship, I want to challenge you to check your vertical relationship. Is Jesus the number one focus in your life? Is he at the center of your life? Because I believe if this is right, this will always be okay. There's always hope for things to change. Now here's the thing. Angels really have an advantage over us because we get bogged down in money, news, politics, social media, you name it. Okay? All those things can become an idol for us. They can draw our attention away from God when we really need to have our focus solely on God. Now see, the angels, they don't really have a problem with that. They don't have a love for money. They aren't consumed with politics, government, legislation. They aren't tempted to turn family into an idol. They're not tempted like our teenagers to worship girlfriends or beauty or popularity or sports or likes on TikTok or Instagram. Angels don't worship anything but Jesus. See, there's the only one. They know that. And the angels know him personally. They see him at the office every day. They are with him in heaven. So the challenge for us as followers of Jesus is to make sure that we guard our hearts. Okay? And how do we do that? How do we guard our hearts against the things that are not of God? Well, I think it begins here because so often up here we're overthinking things. But if we can get it from here to here, a lot of times we can do a better job of staying in the word, praying, worshiping, studying God's word, listening for him. Because See, there's nothing that deserves our attention more, nothing that should occupy our thoughts more than the thoughts of God, and nothing that we should want more than to serve Jesus. He's the one we serve. and When we put Jesus at the forefront of our lives, We're saying, God, I know that you gave everything for me. And I want to respect that. I want to love that. I want to revere that by the way that I speak, the way that I act, and the way that I move about this life. So before we open our mouths, we should say, What would Jesus say? Before we decide to think, we should be asking, What does Jesus think? Before we decide what to do. Anybody remember the old bracelets? I think they're still around. WWJD. What would Jesus do? You know, and it's interesting how we can get into that mindset. And when we do it and we do it successfully, we we short-circuit that tendency to be selfish. We short-circuit that tendency to think of myself first. If I stop before I do something, before I say something, before I think something... And I think about how can I best honor God with my thoughts, my words, and my actions. You know, when we plan our days, we should be thinking about how can we incorporate Bible study into that? How can we incorporate doing some kind of a devotional? How can we incorporate prayer into my schedule tonight? What am I going to do To carve out time. We are amazingly adept at carving out time for so many things in our lives. But are we really carving out time for Jesus? I want you to think about something here for just a minute. That is, how is my life honoring to Jesus today? Because he's the one that we worship Verse 7 goes on and says, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. See, angels are servants, bottom line, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this. There's no need for me to point out how many different ways the angels are different from us, but they are. They're on a different level. They're definitely lower than Jesus, but they're on a level that's different from us. See, Angels are not called sons, but we who believe and walk with the risen Christ are called sons and daughters of God through Jesus. We have that relationship. We have that relationship because of the price that Jesus paid. Without that, we would have no access to the Father. Jesus is the bridge. Angels have different status than we do. If you peek down to verse 14, it actually says that angels work on our behalf. They're servants. They're directed by God, and much of their work involves us. As the author contemplates who Jesus Christ is, he borrows words from Psalms 45 and 102. And he says in verse 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. See that? The Son is now called God. He has an eternal throne. Well, what's he getting at there? What is the author trying to tell us? I think it's one great, big, huge thing that we probably already know, and that is Jesus is king, but he's not like any other king. He's the king of kings, Lord of lords. Emmanuel, he's not some far off God. Emmanuel means God with us, he's here. Spirit lives and breathes in us, gives us direction, gives us focus. Years ago, there was a beer commercial set in a tavern with a young guy playing the blues on a Gibson Les Paul guitar for the guitar players in the room. And this old man comes over and he says, that's pretty good, mind if I try? The young guy says, you play? The old guy takes it and rips off of a couple of amazing riffs. The young guy says, what's your name? The old man says, it's on your guitar. (laughs) See, there are people who play guitar, and then there are people who play guitar. The author of Hebrews is saying that there are kings, and then there is the king of kings. Listen to how he describes the King of Kings who rules with a scepter of justice, beginning in verse 9. You have loved righteousness, hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment like a robe you'll roll them up like a garment they will be changed but you are the same and your years will have no end and verse 13 and 14 goes on and saying to which of the angels has he ever said sit at my right hand till I make an enemy enemies a footstool for your feet are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation so here's something that we want to remember. We take this from verse 13 and 14. Angels are in a place of service or ministry, okay? Their job is to serve Jesus and to serve the peoples of Jesus. They're not sons. They are servants. They don't receive worship, but they worship Jesus. They were never people, but they serve people, and they aren't gods. They worship the one true God. And T. Wright said this, Not many readers today perhaps will be tempted to abandon Christianity in favor of some form of Judaism, though it is important for us to understand why that was such an obvious pressure in the early days. But many today, including many in churches, seem dissatisfied with what they have and are eager to expand their spiritual horizons as they might see it, to include angels and saints and other distractions Wright goes on to say, let this letter serve as a warning and an encouragement. Don't start playing with the wrapping instead of the two present. Pay closer attention to who Jesus really is, to the role he played and still plays in God's plan and to the life of worship and service to which he and he alone calls each of us today. You know, I started off this message this morning with an important reminder, a blinding flash of the obvious, if you will, about Jesus being number one. Jesus is in the place of honor. He came, paid the price so that he could have that place of honor. He's number one, he's in first place. It's the only place that he accepts. And it's not because he's insecure, he's not hungry for our attention, he's God. He's supreme over all creation. This one truth about Jesus is so important that I believe it's a deal breaker. That is this. If you don't know Christ as God, you don't know Christ. See, so many Christian-based Cults, I like to use the word based, cults, all teach that Jesus is less than God. They've been deceived into making Jesus some lesser God, some lesser being. But here's the point. If Jesus is not God, he has no power to help us. If Jesus is not God, he can't save us. If Jesus is not God, we might as well go home. Why are we even here? But if Jesus is God, then we have a decision to make. See, some of us are like that runner I told you about in the story at the beginning of the message, Ivan, Anaya. We know that Christ is in first place, and we've moved him into the first place position in our hearts and our lives. But many people, maybe even someone here this morning, have passed Jesus by. They're content to have a second place Jesus. He's handy. When I need him, I'll call on him. They want to be number one, they want to be the Lord of their lives. Here's the irony of that. When you put yourself in first place, guess what? You have lost the race. But when you take first place, you put your trust in a false God called self. If you think it's all about you, and let me tell you something, self is a crappy God And he has no power to save you from anything. Jesus must be number one. So I want to ask you today, is he? Is he number one in your life? How is your vertical relationship today? Is he your top priority? Do you think about him before you speak, before you think, before you act? If you don't, If you're struggling with that today, I challenge you to change your focus. Forget about the angels, okay? God's got control of them. He's going to take care of that piece of it for us. But we have Jesus, and we have His comforter. We have His counselor who lives and walks with us every day. He wants us to make sure that Jesus is first. So perhaps today is a day when you course correct. You know, if you're here today and you don't know even what I'm talking about, who's this Jesus? What is this all about? I don't understand. What about what's this guy who was with God and then he came and, and he died on a cross? If you're here today and you don't know, you don't understand who Jesus is, then today is the day to course correct. Please don't walk out that door without a certainty of knowing who Jesus is, who He can be for you. He can be the number one force in your life. If you're here today and you're struggling, if you're struggling with these relationships, like I talked about earlier, your your horizontal relationships, if you're struggling with those today, then I would challenge you that this is not in alignment I'm sure as I'm standing here. And you know why I can say that? Because I've experienced it myself. So if you're here and you're struggling and you need prayer, we're going to have a time of invitation here in just a minute. There's going to be some people around the different parts of the worship center. Take them up on their offer to pray with you. See, they want to be God's instrument to help you get Refocused to help you get back on track, to help you make sure that your vertical focus is right. You know, perhaps you're here today, maybe you've been coming to South Point for a little while. You're not really sure if this is where you wanna plug in. I'm gonna tell you, in the very short period of time that I have been affiliated with this congregation, I can tell you, you guys are on fire for the Lord. And I love that. I look forward to coming here every week and sharing a message that God has given me. But if you're still on the fence, it's probably getting uncomfortable by now. I know that when I sit on the fence, it's not comfortable. But if you're waiting on a time to make that commitment to this body of believers, sold out followers of the number one, the one true Christ. I encourage you, make that decision today. We will welcome you with open arms. I think I can speak for everybody who's a member of this church Is in this room. We welcome you. We want you to come and be a part of what's happening here. God is doing some amazing things. Even in the transition, and I know it's hard. I was talking to somebody before service this morning. He said, it's been hard. It's been hard. It's been a difficult time of transition. And I understand that. But I want to tell you something. God is carrying us. Okay? Through the difficulties, through the transition, through the trials, God will see us through. He's not left us. Just because it's a difficult time of transition doesn't mean that God is not in this place. Amen? Right. He is. He's here. So if you're not sure about whether today is the day that you make that commitment to this church, please do it. Just do Just do it. Take a step of faith and do it. There's some decisions. I can can feel it in my heart this morning. There's some decisions that need to be made. And maybe it's just a decision to say, I'm going to quit being in control and let God have control. Whatever those decisions are, please let the Spirit move in you today. Please come during the invitation. Let us pray with you. Let us welcome you to the fellowship. Let us tell you about Jesus. What an amazing journey you could begin right here today because he is your number one and that's where he needs to be. Let us pray. Father, forgive us for how we so often want to be in control, take charge, lead our own lives, feed ourself when we know, Lord, that what you really want is for us to acknowledge that you are number one. You are the number one in our life. You always have been, always will be, and you deserve to be there. You deserve the honor and the glory and the power, the wisdom, the thanks, our worship, forever and ever. God, we want you in that number one spot because we know that when you're there, you help us take each step faithfully on this road to eternity. So I pray, Lord, in the moments of invitation that follow that your spirit will move in this place. God, I know you're here. I know your spirit is filling this place. Lord, I pray that each person here today would listen, would be in tune with the Spirit to say, yes, Lord, I want a relationship with you. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. God, please help me take that step. Or yes, Lord, I need to to course correct. I'm not doing life like I need to be, and I need to put you back in that number one position. Lord, I know there are some here today who, We're on the fence about joining this body of believers and getting locked arms with the work that you're doing here at South Point. Lord, your spirit must move because you are number one. Help us to be in tune with that, we ask and pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.